This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I wrote down on a yellow post-it while I was miserable being a paralegal to my friend Patrick at the law firm. I'm going to be on TV within three years. And he was like, yeah, right. And I did. Hi, everyone. Welcome to No Limits. I'm your host, Rebecca Jarvis. If you are a frequent listener here, thank you. We appreciate your loyalty. And if you're new, welcome. Each week, we work here to demystify success. I know it's a weird word, doesn't mean everything to everyone, but the idea is happiness in the work that you do in your life. And we go about finding that by speaking to the world's most influential women across all different industries. And the conversations go beyond the resume. From decision-making to trade-offs to those pivotal moments that shape your careers and your lives. So whether you're looking for advice or you just want to hear a good story, you've come to the right place. Raise your hand if you're from Minnesota. Me! (laughs) And me! And proud of it. So proud. Guys, you are in for a treat today because we have with us Poppy Harlow. Hi. Hi. Poppy and I grew up together. For sure. We we basically grew up together because we were we knew each other when we were really little. Yep. Five. Then, you're four or five years old. Four or five years old. We went to each other's birthday parties. Mm-hmm. And then in Minnesota, obviously. And then we went our own separate ways and we came back and found each other in New York City. My long lost soul sister. Something like that. It's it's even better than that, actually. Mm. Um, Poppy just interviewed me for her tremendous podcast, Boss Files, with Poppy Harlow. And for those of you who need a little refresher on her background, why would you? But we'll do it anyway. Poppy's a four-time Emmy-nominated journalist. She anchors the weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. on CNN Newsroom. Mm -hmm. Actually, it would be 8 to 10 a.m. in Minnesota Minnesota time. Yes. Um, alongside Jim Shuto. She's also, of course, the host of Boss Files. Like I said, she interviews CEOs, executives and leaders like Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which you did that, what, four days after giving birth? I was wearing a diaper. More on that later. Yeah, please. I would like to hear everything about the diaper. <laughs> um, for example, the brand, how long it was on, who changed oh, you. Um, <laughs> She she's I mean, this woman has interviewed everyone under the sun. Warren Buffett, Howard Schultz. Her reporting has won multiple industry awards. The Gracie Award for Best Online Investigative Mm. Feature on Financial Fraud. Cebu's Best in Business Award for Online Video. Um, But really, the reason that we're doing this today, having this conversation and Poppy just interviewed me for Boss Files, her awesome podcast. But the reason that we're doing this is because we don't get enough time to hang out. It's true. So we're going dancing after this. We are. Uh, so we just really wanted to spend more time together. Of course. Poppy, tell us about growing up in Minnesota. 
Well, first of all, it gave me the best accent ever, which I like. I'm sad every day that I lost a little bit of it because I used to have a really thick don't you know accent. Did you actually say it. don't you know? Of course. You of course. Yes, I did. Proud of it. Did anyone tell you to change the accent along they the did. way on TV? They did. And what did you think of that? I thought it I I, th- <gasps> I thought it was, you know what? I don't know. I think that they were just saying it for clarity, but I actually have read that actors in drama school are taught to speak like they're from the Midwest because it's the most clear. So I don't know. I sort of lost it along the way. An executive no longer at CNN said, we love that you're from Minnesota. We just don't need to hear it. And I was like, okay, noted. But they're not at CNN anymore. Did that freak you out? No, not really. Honestly, I have always like embraced my Minnesota roots. Yeah. If you ever watch our show, I talk to Jim incessantly about Minnesota. So I'm very proud of it. And I I will never let it go. You, it's so funny you say that because one of my <laughs> former co-anchors used to joke that if there wasn't a Minnesota reference in the show, then I must not be there that day. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we grew up together, like I yeah. said, five years old, four years old. I still have pictures in my head of being at your birthday party dancing around the maypole. Because my birthday's May 2nd, so my mom would make this maypole in the backyard after the day after May Day. Minnesota, obviously, a really big impact on your career. Who in your life would you say has been the biggest impact? Two people, my husband and my father. So where do you want to start? Let's start with your father. So my my dad, Jim, Jim Harlow, from Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, um, was this remarkable soul. And he had the biggest laugh. It was so <laughs> loud that his secretary would like tell people, you know, oh, that's Jimmy down the hall laughing. You can just hear him so far. He, I was his only child. He, my brother uh, is, is his stepson. So I have a half brother who I'm very close to as well, but I was his only child. And my father went to Columbia for in New York City for undergrad, which is why I wanted so desperately to go to Columbia to follow in his footsteps. And he um, he was just a joy. He he died when I was fifteen, so he's not here anymore. And and uh, but it's like he is. I can still smell him. He used to wear this English shaving cream that he loved and aftershave that was really had this strong smell and I can still smell him today more than 20 years later. Um, the reason that he had the biggest impact on my career and my, my life is because of who he was, not what he did. So he was a litigator. He was an attorney. He was an IP litigator. So he would like, he represented some tech companies like Hewlett Packard or Honeywell. And he would bring home, I remember this big case, a patent infringement case he was fighting and he would bring, he brought home the camera and he took it apart on the kitchen table. This is like 95 or so. And and he was like, look, Poppy, this is where they broke the law. This is how they infringed on the patent. They took this lens. And it was just like he loved the law. He loved being a lawyer. And he was so good at it. And he was so good in the courtroom. I got to watch him a few times. So I wanted to be a lawyer just like him. I am clearly not a lawyer. So there's that. that's another story we'll get to. But he had endless time for me. And my mom and my brother and and our family. And I think that 
what he didn't do is he didn't spend enough time on himself. Mm-hmm. So he would he was the one who would get up at four in the morning with me and take me to figure skating before going to work himself very early. He would there, you know, I remember for like my seventh birthday or something, he flew through like four airports to get home from Japan or some crazy place where he was just to make it home for my birthday and then to fly out again the next day. So he gave up everything for himself, sleep, everything just to be with me. And I will never forget those moments. He loved to brew beer. So he would make my poor mom, he would make the whole house smell so bad because of the hops. And we would drive to this place like way out in White Bear Lake to buy ingredients for beer making. And we would make the whole house smell so bad. My mom would have to leave for the day and he would make Jim's pale ale and Poppy's root beer. And we even made the bottles and the late, like we made the labels to go on the bottles. So my, I guess my, it's a long winded way of saying he was just this like incredibly loving, great soul who showed me what being a great parent is. Mm. Sorry. Um, and so, oh, no, it's fine. Um, and, and it, you know, like eternal love for your kids is all that is the, is the most important thing you can do. There, you got me crying already. So that was him. Your kids, yeah, and Luca feel that eternal love from you Aww. and their father, Sinisha. Well, I think, and so Sinisha's the other person. Um, and I have to tell you, I think that my husband, who's also from Minnesota, born in Bosnia, Bosnian Serb, but but moved to. Minnesota when he was like six years old. I I swear, Rebecca, in so many ways, I feel like he was a gift from my father. Mm. Like the one of the worst things that can happen to people is they marry the wrong person. And I feel, and no marriage is perfect. It's very hard. You have to always work at it. But I do feel as though he has been a gift from my father. And that my father would be so proud to know that I was with him. And he gives me hands down the best career advice mm. and the best life advice. And he's very, um, you know, candid with me when he thinks I'm making the wrong choice and how to have the tough conversations. And that is a, a huge gift. But I do, I do remember marrying him on that day. And I was sad, of course, that my father wasn't there, but I was also smiling like that he would be so proud and that they would have had so much fun together. Well, so those I, are the two. Uh, I I know Sinisha quite well, <laughs> and he is a phenomenal partner, oh. and a huge shout out to him, but also to you. Mm. Um, I sadly didn't get to know your father, but I know the person that you are, mm. and I know he would be so proud oh. of all of it. Thank you. All of it, Poppy. Thank you. Along the way, you you mentioned wanting to follow in his footsteps, in your father's footsteps. And you really strongly considered that. In fact, you you almost were a lawyer. I mean, I tried. And then Harvard, Yale, Columbia, <laughs> law schools all said no. The truth is I'm not a lawyer because I failed. And that failure is the best thing that ever happened to me. I was definitely going to be a lawyer just like him. I you know even worked as a paralegal. I went to Columbia, where my father went, just because I wanted to be like him. I lived in the same dorm. 
I you lived in the same. I dorm. lived in the same dorm. John Jay is what it's called. I studied really hard there. I went out and had fun too, but there are a lot of parties that my friends went to that I didn't because I was so set on this goal. Got straight A's, one B. I did get one B, which I tried to fight, and they sounds did. traumatic. Yeah, clearly, I should have gotten more Bs and slept more and relaxed more. But that's that's for later. Um, and and I apply. I like graduated early. Thought I did it all right by the books, and applied to the top law schools and didn't get in. And I will never forget getting that those letter like those rejection letters because frankly I hadn't gotten rejected from things in my life generally speaking right I worked hard I got into the college I wanted to go to so it was like I just expected that at least one of them would take me and I was devastated and I cried about it and I remember sitting in my purple and black north face jacket that my dad had bought me when I was 14 years old at ski hut in Minnesota that still fit. And those things are expensive. So like I'm going to I probably still have it. I was going to keep wearing it. So this is like, you know, what am I, 22 years old wearing that jacket, sitting in Learner Hall at Columbia where you get your mail and I didn't get in and I was devastated. And it is the single best thing that has ever happened in my career for sure. How quickly did you realize that? Like yesterday. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, it was not great for a while. I, I went to be a paralegal and then I didn't were like you, that. When you went to be a paralegal, were you thinking I'm going to do this and then I'm going to apply again? I thought I would apply again. Yeah. And then my mom swears that like I said I wanted to be Katie Couric when I was little I don't remember this. I still would like to be Katie Couric or Rebecca Jarvis. You said that. You said that at the birthday when we were running around. Yeah, right. At four. That's fake news. But um, (laughs) but I she swears it like this is what I was meant to do. But it took a while. I don't want to mislead people because when your dreams get broken, it's not like the next day you're like, well, that's great. That didn't happen. Took a while, you know, and then I just I didn't reapply because I thought I had been interning at CBS News all through college while I was at school here in New York City. And that was a great gift that I got. And I loved it. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to try this journalism thing. And so I did. But it took years to realize that 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 rejection was a gift. Why would you be interning at at CBS if law was the thing that you thought you were going to do? Do you want the true story? Yes. My college boyfriend's parents' friend ran CBS Market Watch and we went out to dinner one night in New York City and at the end of dinner he's like you should you know you should intern for us. So I did. I mean I literally like <laughs> I'm not going to take credit like I totally got hooked up with a good internship but then I made the most of it. It was meant to be clearly. So at what point did you decide or say to yourself I want to be a journalist? I wrote down on a yellow post-it while I was miserable being a paralegal to my friend Patrick at the law firm. I'm going to be on TV within three years. And he was like, yeah, right. And I did. That is so bold. I love that you did that. I did that. Does is Patrick still at the law firm? I'm I'm not sure, but he was awesome. Patrick, I hope you watch her on CNN (laughs) newsroom right now. So three years. Why three years? I don't know. I don't know. But like goals. I'm not sure. sure. No, but I get it. I actually, well, I I like the idea that you put an actual time frame on it because I think in some ways 
first of all, the fact that you even shared it with anyone, there's there's a little bit of, you know, yeah, I got to do this. You got to do mm-hmm. it. And then plus giving yourself a bit of a timeline. You got to do it today. Get it done. So what did you do when you made this call? Did you quit your job as a paralegal? I did. And I started working. I got lucky and I got to work at CBS News full time, like actually get a paycheck. And uh, I got to work at Newspath, which is this. I'll always be so grateful to my bosses there. Bill Mondora among them who gave me a shot. And I just made ev- I made everything. My job was to run basically run affiliates would call like from all over the world, like our Japanese counterparts or whatever. And they'd want video of something in the CBS News library. And I would literally run across the street to the library, which is like, and you'd run fast, fast floors of this, you know, other building. And I would pull the yellow beta tapes and I would ingest them and I would cut the video they want and feed it to them. And that was my job. But then they needed people to do other things like go to red carpets. Hum, so fun. <laughs> like on a Friday night and interview celebrities. Pick me, pick me. And I was all and apparently no one wanted to do this because you're not on camera. You're just standing by the camera, like holding a mic out. But I was so excited. And so I always said, let me do that. Let me do it. And there was a great woman, Sharon, there who was in charge of it. And she let me do it. And then I would slowly like work up the guts to ask the cameraman uh, or woman or the, and the nice producer I was with, can I like tape something in front of the camera and make, start making a reel. And my good friend Marav, one of the editors edited a reel for me and I sent it out all over the place. And, you know, eventually um, got lucky and I got, I, I got really lucky and I got a job at New York one. What do you remember? What was on your reel? No, but I wish I had it because I'm sure it was horrible. I want to see that. I don't think I'm I sure have it was the phenomenal. DVD. I think it was probably amazing. <laughs> um, do you remember, by the way, any red carpet memories? Like, is there anything vivid that happened when you were interviewing people on the red carpet? Totally blushing when I was interviewing Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I still think I would. If you'd like to come on Boss Files. Please. Open invite. I would like to be there when you do the interview. I just want to watch it go down. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I'll listen to it when it's out. Thanks, hon. Okay, so you send it out. You get the job at New York One. What an incredible moment. Were you, I love that you, place. Did, it, did you feel in that moment like, I did this? Yes, and I knew how lucky I was because to be able to stay in New York City as a journalist, I was so lucky. And what's great about New York One is it, it taught me so much CBS taught me so much. New York One was my first on-camera experience. And, you know, you do everything there. You write all your own stuff. You edit it. You shoot it. Like, I mean, you anchor. You run your own teleprompter while you're anchoring for the... This is for the... I was in the local division. So, like, the Staten Island News Now it was called or the New Jersey News Now, the cut-ins. So I got to do everything. But I I never from that day on um, did not appreciate like that gift of that lesson and being able to learn it in New York City. Being able to see all of it, too. I have so much respect for people who have paid their dues and and really get how it all gets done. Yes. Yep. I was very, very lucky. So you're at New York One. Were you thinking at the time, I want something bigger? Always. Aren't you always? I mean, I that's like, I think one of the problems for me now that I try to work against is that I'm always thinking I want something bigger. And when in doing that, the mistake of doing that is you can miss the joy of the moment you're in. Definitely. 
right? So I try not to do that now. But yeah, when I, did that and, occur and not to you? bigger, just more opportunities. Like New York one is big. It was big to get there. Just Huge. more opportunities. When did it hit you, this idea of being more present and living in the moment? When I had children. Because they grow up like a blink. People say that, but they grow up like a blink. Like it is, I mean, my three and a half year old is running around like telling me what to do now. You know, I mean, <laughs> she's like a teenager. So yeah, when I had children. How big of a game changer were kids for you? Everything. I knew I wanted children. Always. Did you, know, you knew that when you were young? When I was young. I mean, I, I, by the time I was a young adult, I knew I wanted to be a mother. But I was for so long. And we took a lot of wa- walks in Central Park, you and I, talking about this. Like, how am I going to juggle it? I don't know. What is it going to mean for my career? And it, I, it's amazing to me when I sit back and I think about that now because it's just everything else pales in comparison to how important my children are to me. But at the same time, my career is also more important to me because, you know, I I help provide for our family. And also I want them to be proud of what I, what I build and what I do and how I do it. So, but I knew, I knew for a while. Something we talked about on Boss Files in the conversation that I just had with you was this idea of our friendship and the value of that as, you know, and I don't want to make it feel like it's contractual or something like that, but like just the, it's such an incredible thing to have a real and genuine and deep friendship with Mm -hmm. someone who we both, we we work in the same industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not always easy to find. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful for that day we met at the NASDAQ like 12 years ago or something now. And the fact that we've maintained this friendship because what's so unique about it is that it's never been competitive. Not yeah. an ounce. Like people may listen to this and think, yeah, right. But not not by a mile. It just has always been like, how can we help one another get the most out of life and the most out of our careers and succeed in our challenges? And to be able to talk so candidly with someone, I mean, we talk about everything. How do we deal with challenges at work? You know, what are the big guests we're trying to book and how can we help each other book those guests, right? Um, Our salaries, like openly talking about our salaries, which I think is really important, especially for women to do with other women, you know, so you make sure that you are, you know, compensated in the, in, 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 a just fashion um, is so important. So to be able to have that in a friend is something that I would advise everyone to to seek out. And we didn't seek it out, but it was this beautiful sort of byproduct of us re-meeting. Absolutely. Which, by the way, Poppy, do you mind sharing the the re-meeting story? The at the Nasdaq, yeah, yeah. So we're it's the financial crisis. It's two thousand eight. <laughs> Picture the scene. Picture this, folks. The world is crashing yes. all around us, but and we're, we're reunited, and we're reunited at last. And we're sitting in these little booths that they have at the Nasdaq, which is a you know the stock exchange, but it's not an exchange. It's really a TV studio where we talk in front of a big wall, and you see the stocks that are traded on the Nasdaq, and we. I guess you heard me say Minnesota or something and your ears perked up. And then we're like, I'm from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. Oh, really? Where'd you go to, you know, school? Oh, we both went to the same school, Lake Country, which you say is called what? 
Children's House? We were in Children's House. Children's House, but at Lake Country, Montessori (laughs) School. And then we realized that we had known each other back in the day, and you have since found photo evidence of it. But that's how we that's how we remet. And then like quickly became very close friends through it all. Absolutely. And I I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about ahead of our conversation is how how wonderful that relationship is. And I wish that there was a way, and maybe you have an idea, but like You know, people out there think about reverse engineering success and Mm. how do you find yourself in situations that you want to be in? How do you put yourself in situations? Do you have any thoughts on that about, in particular, building relationships? And we can leave ours on the table, but... I do. I think that if I could do it over and do my 20s and certainly the beginning of my 30s over, is that I would have been more careful... And judicious with my time. Mm. And that means more of saying no, more of prioritizing, and more of making those hard choices about what I can and can't do. Because I spent a lot, many years filling my calendar because it kept me busy. And it made me feel as though I was accomplishing a lot. But ending the day with a full calendar is in no way having accomplished really anything. Because what is it full of? So that's, I think that if I could re-engineer, that's what I would have done. I would have seen where are my strengths? How can I build on those? Where are my weaknesses? How can I do things to help build those up? And also where are my joys? Yeah. Like I talked a lot at the beginning of the, the this podcast about my dad mm-hmm. because he has been so influential to me and because I lost him early, right? But I'd be remiss not to talk about my mom who... I think has helped me define joy. Here's a woman who has lost her husband, lost the love of her life, but not lost her joy for life. And she's the one who told me to get more bees and to go to sleep. Like I would be, yes, I would be studying for a bio exam or something in, in, in high school in Minnesota. And she would come into my room and she'd say, turn off the computer and go to sleep. It's okay to get a bee. Or even a C. And what did you think of that? Look, I thought she was wrong. I thought she was wrong. And my dad wasn't like that. And I thought she was wrong. And she was not wrong. She was right. She has lived her life so beautifully and so fully. She had this, she's like, to me, she's sort of like this enigma. She was brilliant, is brilliant, graduated from uh, high school at 16, college at 19, I think she told me. Like, just, I went to college at 19 just for the (laughs) fun. For the record, a little bit slower on that front, mom, um, was a ballerina, moved to Europe for four years when she was like 20 years old, and then dabbled in acting. Then when she married my dad, this is true story too, she realized like how busy he was and that she was not going to sit around waiting for him to come home at night to keep her fulfilled. So she went back to school, got her master's and her doctorate to become a, a psychologist and like reinvented her career and her life. So it's, but all along the way, she has been filled with and full of joy and could care less, like how society judges her, care less about sort of fitting in the social norms. So I think that that maybe for this sort of next chapter of my, my adult life, my older years, you're not, as you're we not approach even them, in the older years. Uh, that is a model that I look to a lot of like just real joy. So you'd say yes to more joy and no to more work. Yeah. Do you think 
that bad? Are my bosses no. listening? Please. I I definitely say but embrace joy. But work can be but, joy. Right. Uh, yes, yes to the work that is <clears throat> joyful. Yes. And the, I mean, come on. I, of course, we all have to do work we don't want to do. I am incredibly blessed that my job is filled with work that does stimulate me. Yeah. Gives me joy. It challenges me. Every day I come in and I learn a lot. That's an amazing gift. But you're here, too. And I think that's one of the mm. the complex things when when you look back and you say this is something that I would change and I would do differently. Mm-hmm. The fact that you said yes to so many things. By the way, I I think everything happens for a reason, but maybe that has a little bit to do, yeah, or something to that's do true. with you being in the position that you're. You in. never know who you're going to meet or where it's going to land you. That's true. You're right, and you said that. To me, when we were talking for Boss Files about there's a real value in saying yes and raising your hand. And I'm not, I by the way, I'm not trying to correct you in any way. I, I just I just that. think about these things because I I oftentimes, you know, everybody asks the question, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes feel like a lot of my early sort of networking, I was just so worried about it. I was so afraid of putting my best foot forward. And I felt like I'm so junior in this room and no one really wants to talk to me. And I'm so boring. Why would anyone hear? Why do we talk down about ourselves so much? I do it all the time. It's a waste of energy. And I like to your your point about, but to your point about your mom and embracing joy. Now, when I go into a room of strangers, Mm -hmm. I literally approach that room as, joyful conversations look at that well i'm assuming you do too yeah i do now i do now embrace joy yes that's an important point okay so you're in the job essentially of your dreams or close to Mm -hmm. it you're at new york one oh yes did you have an agent at that point i did not have an agent but i got hired then from there um, by the Forbes Video Network. For, and I, I left TV to go online. And I think that was gutsy mm. because I left television to go to basically a web video startup within a bigger established company of Forbes. And how did you make that Because decision? I knew that that's where the future was going. It felt like people our age were starting to watch more and more video online. And this was like at the infancy of it. And I knew that I could have these one-on-one. It was to be a host and interview business people. And I had this, you know, knowledge of business news from back when I interned at CBS Market Watch. And so I just took the risk and I thought like, <clears throat> this might expose me to some really interesting people and might, you know, I, I was like 24. What's the worst thing that can happen if I really hate it? Right. I'll go begging New York one to take me back. I, You know, I just wanted to stretch myself and try something different. And so I got lucky. But it's the I'll never forget the tools that New York One gave me to be able to do that. And now you're at CNN in this moment in time where so many conversations now outside of your control, whether it's the president or elsewhere, focus on CNN. Yeah. How do you think about hear more from Poppy Harlow after a word from our sponsor? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. How do you think about that? I just I just think it's a distraction. It doesn't bother me personally, but I do not think that it is what, uh, you know, the leader of the free world should be spending his time on. I am so proud of the job that we do, Jim and I and our entire team do on our show every day. And I'm so proud of the network that Jeff leads. You know, <laughs> Jeff I don't know. Yes. An amazing leader and boss. Um I I think, you know how, like, your mom tells you or your parents when you're little, like, they're only, you know, take it as a form of flattery that they're talking about you? Maybe maybe there's that. I mean, I, I know we are doing right by the American people, so I can sleep well at night with that. Something I loved, the conversation that you had with Kara Swisher on Boss Files. where She, she is a force, isn't she? She definitely uh. is. And one of the things that really resonated with me was this idea that you can't control what other people are going to think about you. No. So that's you been hard for me. That. I really want people to like me. And Kara's like, why? She's so strong. She doesn't care if people like her. But I do care if people like me. Why? I don't know. Stop asking me that question. <laughs> I couldn't answer it with her and I can't answer it with you. Because I'm human. How's right. that? I don't know. I get it. I feel the same way. Do you do you think about it as something that's evolving? For sure. I become more comfortable in my skin by the day. But, you know, can I just tell you, like, there are days that I'm sitting up there on set and I just feel not smart enough. And I keep touching my hair because I think it doesn't look good when who cares what your hair looks like. Um but, you know, there are insecurities and they're real and it's always a struggle. And I think when we wear all this makeup and fake eyelashes and our hair is done by someone else and we have like, you know, these clothes on, people think we wake up like this and it's just so far from the truth. And I just hope people know that there are real insecurities that we all battle and we all deal with. But, yes, day by day by day, I get more comfortable being me. I Yeah, to your point, I think. There are definitely people who think that. There's also people who think that all of it makes you phony because right. you're part of all of that. And I see how hard you work behind the scenes. Ditto, sister. Well, but really, thank you. I appreciate that. But I, Poppy, works around the clock. And you go above and beyond that That person who was not comfortable with any bees right. is definitely not comfortable with winging it or cutting corners anywhere in work. But I, but you told me like my, well, like my mom <laughs> still tells me I don't need to prepare so much. And you tell me to walk into an interview without preparing. So I did. I walked into interviewing you without preparing and it went pretty well. It was phenomenal. Can, I think you should do that more often. Can I? The just, results are perfect. Can I just tell you that 
Uh, I appreciate that. Yes, I have always believed that you, if you are armed with the facts, you are strong. I think that's the lawyer and your dad inside yes. of you and my, litigating. My dad's partner, this great guy, Mike Cerisi, who was his partner at the law firm, said to me once at watching me on air, sent me an email and said something like, watching you like cross-examine that lawmaker reminded me of your father in the courtroom. And my husband told me early on when I was literally like a 23-year-old journalist named Poppy. So here I have a weird name. Definitely too many blonde hair extensions at the time. (laughs) You know, no one knows who I am. And I'm sitting down with like some big names to interview them. And my husband was like, bulldoze them with the facts. Like he, he felt like when I was early in my career, some people would come in and, and just totally underestimate me and so that so from that day on i just felt like i if i'm armed with the facts i i will succeed but i would like to take a moment to say like when you talk about me it's not just me sitting next to us is haley say hi haley you can't hear her and taylor your producer yes and it's those people haley and i have been together for four years and like who do you think comes in in the morning before me who do you think gives me these enormous packets? You know, you've seen me with them that I read of like my 20 million articles on everyone I interview. She does, you know, and I just think that we'd be remiss not to mention the people that make what we do possible. And she's, you know, like the biggest part of that for me and and our executive producer and all of these folks on the show in, in Atlanta, our team, they get like no credit. I feel like, you know, how 60 Minutes puts on the show like produced by <laughs> like everything needs to say that. Because um, make it happen. Those are the, I don't understand why every okay. CNN show doesn't end with rolling credits. Uh, right there, you go. Okay, there's an idea. We do have to get commercials in to pay for everything. But yes, you're right. But you know, it's... maybe you could start writing it out <laughs> on a piece of paper and just hold it up. I'll on try the that tomorrow. But those are the people that make it possible. But yes, it's so. I, true. But I do think I over prepare, Rebecca. So I agree. I am going to work on more sleep, more joy, less preparation. And I recommend everyone watches to see if there's any change. Oh, God. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally really kidding. Funny. You, you over, you absolutely over prepare. And I respect you for it. But there's a danger it, in that you can miss the humanity of a moment. Sure, you can. But I also think that it speaks to the responsibility that you hold as a journalist and your understanding that the things that you speak about, Mm -hmm. that's the record. That's history. Or like I think of us often as our role is to be the voice of the voiceless. So when you get a chance to sit down with someone that many other people never could, and we get this opportunity because we're journalists, we have like a great responsibility. It makes me think of when we were in Flint, Michigan, covering the lead water, you know, the lead in the water crisis. And I was interviewing the governor of Michigan at the time, Rick Snyder, about the federal, you know, the, the state government rather its role in, in this and like how this could happen. And I remember that morning I was pregnant with Sienna, my daughter. And I remember and so I could not drink the water there. I felt like I couldn't eat anything at the restaurants. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what it's like for every parent right now. And by the way, you know, hundreds of them have children that have lead poisoning that will forever affect them. And I remember talking to a number of parents that morning just in coffee shops and walking around. And I felt like I walked into that interview with the governor with their questions, with the responsibility of getting answers for them. Yeah. Right. And that's like that's a lot. So that's part of where it comes from. I agree. 
When you look back on your career and boss files, is there a moment that you feel the most pride in? I think it was the RBG interview. Yeah, that I interviewed Supreme Court Justice. Well, I have two. Uh, And then my first interview with Warren Buffett, which we can get to in a moment, because I was like 12 years old. No, I really was. It was like right when I walked in the door at CNN, they're like, oh, by the way, can you get Warren Buffett for an interview? And I was like, sure did. Sure. No problem. It was in the middle of a um, in the financial crisis. It was 2008 or nine at a women fortune women's conference. And he was one of the only men there. And um, it was in the middle of, uh, you know, Berkshire's deals with with GE at the time and others. And he was, you know, talking to the Treasury Secretary on the phone and advising them and I, you know, walked up to him, introduced myself. I'm Poppy. Can I have five minutes? He did not know who I was, obviously, (laughs) and no one did. And he's like, come find me tomorrow and I'll try. And I found him with a camera next to me and put the (laughs) microphone in his face. And he graciously gave me like 10 minutes and made a ton of news. So that moment of being like, that was my first moment of being fearless. Because the worst thing that could happen is he says, no. And that taught me to be persistent so much so that it's like my middle name now. The second one is RBG interviewing her five days. You give me too much credit, not four <laughs> days, five days after my son Luca was born. And I want to preface this by saying, because I really worried about doing it um, aside from the fact of leaving my infant and what if Luke, what if I was in labor <laughs> at the time, but because I think it gives parents and mothers a false impression of like being a superhero and just just not what it is at all. This is a personal choice that I made for an interview I wanted to do that was in New York City, but it was a gamble that I, I made. I remember how worried you were about that. I was that. totally worried about it. And they had a backup and everything, but I had been asked by my college to do the interview with her for a women's summit. And I actually said no. I said, no, my son is due. I think Luke always do the day of the interview. And then my doctor pushed the due date up because, you know, the charts read differently or whatever. Like, actually, he's due the the fifth or something like that. So but I still told um, Columbia, no, I can't do it. I can't believe I'm saying no, but I can't do it. And they came back and they said, are you really saying no to interviewing a Supreme Court justice? And I was like, oh, I think so. And then I asked my husband and he's like, you got to do it. Just do it. I'm good. And he was good. And that's back to my gift of my husband. Right. Because he's totally fine. That partnership, I prepared for it like two months in advance because, you know, babies (laughs) can come early. And I knew once the baby came, I'd have no time to prepare. But I prepared for it. I even took like a day off my show. I remember telling them, like, I just need to sit alone for eight hours with like no toddler at home, Sienna, and and like just write all this down. And they were great about that. And I interviewed her on stage wearing a diaper. I kid you not. After you have a baby... It's not just like the baby comes out. Things happen. Things happen there. And so they give you these amazing mesh underwear at the hospital that are unbelievable. And you should take lots of them because they're so comfortable. And then they like, if you take anything from this interview, guys, (laughs) take the mesh underwear. Dana Bash told me that. Dana Bash told me before I gave birth, take the underwear. (laughs) True story. Thank you, Dana. But they, you know, like make a diaper into an ice pack and you wear it. I'm totally telling you the truth. I ordered the biggest skirt and top I could find from Rent the Runway. It was all black and walked on stage wearing a diaper to interview Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I will never forget it. And for me, it was the right decision. For everyone, it is not. 
Uh, and I, so then I'm like racing home to Brooklyn to the kids feeling so guilty. My husband's like, we're good. We're at the wine bar on the corner. Come, come on by. <laughs> and there he was with my toddler with the infant in a little, you know, carrier with a glass of wine waiting with my favorite wine for me. That's pretty great. So that was that. You did an amazing job with the interview. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank goodness also for the partner that you chose in life. Yes. And the, I mean, I think we both talk about this personally offline as well about how important it is to find a partner that supports you and we're Builds so, you so up. lucky. Yeah, so lucky. What's been the biggest challenge? Oh, oh, where do I start? In like personally or war with work? We can start on work and then go personal. Oh, gosh. Okay. The biggest challenge with work? I think work in the end is about how you do things, not what you do. And I spent far too much of my career focused on what I did and not how I got there. I don't think I was always the easiest person to work with. I probably still not. I'm trying to be better. But... I just think you can't set your expectations on everyone else. Like, that's just not fair. Like, I have certain expectations of myself, but that doesn't mean they have to be delivered in the same way by everyone else. So I just wish that I would have spent a whole lot more energy on the how and not the what, if that makes if that makes sense. And I also think that, you know, there's that famous... Maya Angelou quote, no one's going to remember what you did, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And I, I think that is like so the most important thing. How, how can you build someone up rather than tear them down? And it's constantly a work in progress, but there have been people who've done both to me in my career. But when you have someone who builds you up, that, I mean, that's everything. And I think we all should spend some time thinking about who do we build up and are we doing it enough? You're here. We were at this lunch a couple of weeks ago with Diane Von Furst. I saw you and I my friend mean, Brooke were there. I don't mean to name drop. The only reason I'm suggesting it is because it, it speaks to this point. And she said something at the lunch that I thought was brilliant. She starts every single day connecting three people, doing <gasps> uh, uh, some email. Three people in her life get connected. Oh, my gosh. And I, love that. I think as a practice, no matter who you are, what you're doing, I just think that's so smart and something that you can do that's so pretty giving, simple, but also really yeah. goes a long way with others. I start my day now with laying in bed, which has now become next to my three-year-old and not my husband because she's wedged herself between us. <laughs> this is our latest challenge, uh, but it's also so cute. She's adorable. Yes, but I have started, I start every day now in bed at whatever hour of the morning it is, um, naming five things that I am grateful for. Five things that I am grateful for and I write them down every single day, no matter where I am. And before I look at my phone and the five bazillion emails I've gotten mm. overnight, that's what I do. And that's been very soul filling for me. If you weren't doing this, what, what would you do? That's my game, yeah. Rebecca. But you did it to me. I answered it on <laughs> Boss Files. Yes, you did. Now we need to hear it so on No Limits. So before I answer that, um, I want you to guess what I would do. Oh, my gosh. 
If you really know me that well, come on. Can I tell you what? You would work at an animal shelter. (laughs) That's so nice. That would. So sweet. You love pets. I do love pets. So Sinisha, my husband, we played this game in in Minnesota this summer with our friends. And he said he would be (laughs) he would be a um, radio host of like the Breakfast Club, you know, cool. I know. And he'd be great at it, wouldn't he? He would be great. Is that what he does in the basement? He hosts the radio. I don't know what he does. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) I think that would do very well. Okay. He makes music, guys. He has a music making. He does send me all my good music. I would be a pediatric nurse. That is what I would be for real. You would be a wonderful pediatric nurse. Thanks. My nurses, like to take it full circle to my dad, the doctors are incredible and so important they are. The nurses don't get enough credit. There's a nurse, David, in Minnesota. I'll never forget him. And he was by my dad's side. My dad went in the hospital and never came, four months, never came out once. They transferred him to the Mayo Clinic and, and all over, but never left the ICU, really. This nurse, David, was by his side all the time and, like, changed his bed sheets and, you know, anything he needed. And I just think that taking care of people at the hardest moments of their life is the greatest gift you can give. And for children... Like we had a scare once with our daughter and she was in the hospital. We were overseas and it was terrifying and I couldn't even speak the language. And I was trying to communicate with these nurses and they were just so compassionate and so caring. And so I would be a pediatric nurse. I have not 100% ruled it out. So stay, really? stay tuned. I don't know. There's a lot of schooling and I you have to go through. But I just, I, I can you think of a greater gift? That and teachers. I I think it would be so noble. I mean, it is we'll those those who give their life. Uh, my um, my sister in law is a nurse, and I see how hard that job is. And it's wow, you blew me. I, I blew did not away? expect that, Poppy. I did not see, expect that. See, there's still some stuff you don't know about me. What is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, I love Bobby. that you do this. <laughs> Shoot, how could I not have thought of this? You do this in every No Limits. <laughs> What's the worst advice? I hope I didn't give it to you. Oh, what was it? What did you say? I, oh, I, you. I, <laughs> oh, God. No, you did. Gosh, my mom, I shouldn't say. I my mom it. always says, say, gosh, gosh. Um, that's the Minnesota in me. Um, what is the worst advice? Oh, goodness. Let me think about that. Um, Did anyone? Someone t- told yeah. me not to get married on the 1st of September, which is when I got married because Why? the planets were not correctly aligned. Come on. That is the worst advice I've ever gotten. What? I'm not going to tell you who gave it to me, but it is, the, wor- it is the worst toe? advice that I ever got in my entire life. And I was like, no, I think we'll proceed with the wedding. Thank you very much. Were you nervous? <laughs> of course I was nervous the whole time because someone told me the planets didn't want me to get married that day. So, yes, that was a little, <laughs> that was a little <laughs> nerve-wracking. Well, but thank we goodness. It was a beautiful ceremony. Thanks, love. You looked so pretty on your Aww. wedding day, as you do every day. Thanks um, to the teams of people that do it. But, yes, thank you <laughs> Um, this was so much fun. Oh, I want everyone. It, it's sincerely a joy, more joy in our lives. There you go. Sister. I'm going to embrace that. I know you can are we have too. like a joy date monthly. Why don't we do that? Please. Becky and I are going to have a, jo- a monthly joy date. <laughs> 
Uh, why did I picture us like eating almond joys on the corner? I could, yes, or cheese curds, my favorite food Ooh, from the Minnesota State Fair. Thank you, Poppy Harlow. My joy, for Rebecca joining Jarvis. Us. Thanks for having this me. This was a joyful conversation, <clears throat> and I also loved our conversation on Boss Files. So, listeners, please go check out Poppy's phenomenal podcast, Boss Files with Poppy Harlow. And you can, of course, watch her every day on CNN. Thanks, Poppy. Okay, it is the end of the interview, and that means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our amazing No Limits listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's entrepreneur is Roxanne Arani. She's the founder of BAM Snacks. Here she is to tell you more. Hi, No Limits listeners. I'm Roxanne Arani, the founder of BAM Snacks. BAM Snacks is dedicated to creating products made from black gram, which enriches your body and mind. Black gram is grown in Eastern India and is an ancient Ayurvedic superfood not currently used in American products. Our first two products made from black gram are chips and pasta that taste absolutely delicious. You won't believe how healthy they are after you taste them. You no longer have to sacrifice taste for health. My greatest challenge is entering into an industry I haven't previously worked in. I've spent two years immersing myself into the food industry, attending conferences, networking, meeting manufacturers, cold calling. I'm a firm believer that you can do anything you set your mind to. Now I'm ready to officially launch BAM Snacks. Check out my Kickstarter, Eat Black Ram, the superfood will save the world, and try Black Ram yourself. You can help BAM and back the Kickstarter campaign until December 5th. Thanks. Mmm, yummy. You know I love food. Congratulations, Roxanne. I wish you continued success. Remember, listeners, you can head over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more from Roxanne and learn more about BAM Snacks. If you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, or if you have questions, you can always send them to me at no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. And finally, a shout out to the wonderful team that helps make this happen each and every week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor, Brittany Martinez, research assistant, Lane Wynn. Thanks to ABC Audio. And for those of you who are my great loyal listeners, don't forget to head over to the Boss Files with Poppy Harlow podcast, where she turns the tables and interviews me. She's the best. She did an amazing job. I loved our conversation, and I hope you will too. 